Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you ever have the opportunity to visit the city of Rome, one of the most popular destinations, especially for Christians, isn't above the ground. It's actually below. Many tourists every year descend into the Roman catacombs, a network of underground passages that were used in the past from people from all different religions in order to bury their loved ones. But those catacombs, they became particularly meaningful to the Christians because during times of hostility or open persecution in the Roman Empire, that's where the Christian believers would go to meet in safety, to worship. Now, if you go and visit some of those catacombs today, you'll see carvings and artwork on the, uh, on the graves, marking the graves of those who died in the Christian faith. And, and there are certain symbols that they use that were carved or painted, symbols of the faith that were used most often. For instance, there's the ichthus, the, the fish, which actually ichthus is an acronym, meaning Jesus Christ the Son of God and Savior. You would also see a dove, the dove which symbolizes life all the way back from the days of Noah. There, pictured with the olive branch, and also the dove indicates the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. There's also then the anchor, which you can see pictured there between two fish. And it's this anchor that I'd like us to focus on today, this symbol of the anchor which has been used in Christianity ever since the early days of the church. The anchor represents how we are anchored in life by the cross of Christ, by his sacrifice for you and for me. You can even see the cross in the middle of the anchor. We're going to think about that anchor as we consider our gospel reading today from Mark chapter 10 with the rich man who came to talk to Jesus. Because it's, become, it's going to become increasingly clear that something other than Jesus was this man's anchor in life. Now, there are many significant details loaded in this short passage of Mark's gospel. If you have your Bibles with you, and I encourage you to follow along so that you can see them. And it would be easy to overlook this first one, which is in the very first verse there, how the man approaches Jesus in verse 17. Now, notice the man doesn't walk. He runs to Jesus and he kneels before him. And those are two things, running and kneeling, that a person of his status and wealth wouldn't normally do. And it indicates that this man is particularly motivated to show deference to Jesus so that he may find the guidance that he's hoping to hear. But what it also does is put into stark contrast how this man is going to depart from Jesus. He leaves slowly and full of sorrow. Because in the end, he's not going to hear what he wants to hear. But the man begins this conversation by asking Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man knows that there's something he needs that he doesn't currently have. And and as we said, he is uh, genuinely trying to pursue God. He wants eternal life and he wants Jesus to tell him how to get it. But again, he is anchored by something else 
in his life. And Jesus knows it. And we can see it. We can see it just in the way he asks his question. This man who so badly wants to be close to God is further away than he thinks because he thinks he has to do something to be saved. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's why Jesus leads them through this conversation about the commandments and and what this man thinks that he is accomplishing by his own good works, the, the righteousness this man thinks he can achieve all on his own. But this man fails to realize that he is sinful by nature, like we all are. We are unable to keep the law. We can't earn eternal life by what we do. Rather, we can only receive eternal life by the one in whom we believe. But this man doesn't even recognize the one who is standing right there in front of him, Jesus Christ, who is both the Son of Man and the Son of God, the only righteous person to ever walk this earth, the only one to indeed keep all of those commandments, even from his youth. There's another small detail here that's quite significant. And it's how the man ends up changing the way that he addresses Jesus over the course of this conversation. When he first approaches Jesus, he calls him good teacher, to which Jesus replies, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's providing an opportunity for the man to recognize the one to whom he's talking, that Jesus is God. But what do we see the man say the next time he speaks to Jesus in verse 20? He says only, teacher. He's made a subtle shift in how he addresses Jesus. He has dropped the good, indicating that he doesn't think or he doesn't know that Jesus is God. All the while, Jesus is trying to drive this man to realize the one thing he's missing, which is himself. But out of mercy and grace, Jesus doesn't end the conversation there. In fact, Jesus' reaction to the rich man is quite incredible. He doesn't scorn the man. He doesn't shame him or rebuke him. No, it says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And because of that love, Jesus is going to tell this man the truth, painful as it might be to hear. Jesus says, you lack one thing. And the thing that this man lacked was Jesus. But before the man could see Jesus, could see all that Jesus was going to do for him, there was something that was preventing him from following him, something that was weighing this man down. And that's why Jesus says, Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You see, as we've been pointing out, this man had a tremendous weight in his life, an anchor holding him down. It was the anchor of his perceived abilities, the anchor of his self-righteousness, and specifically the anchor of his great possessions. This man likely had great wealth and and probably land and multiple business ventures and, and streams of income in his life. But he was weighed down by all of those things. His heart was fully invested in those things. 
And so when it came to the issue of his salvation, the man figured that he could approach salvation like he approaches everything else in life with hard work and determination. There was no doubt that this man was successful in life. But when it came to his salvation, he would never be successful by trying to do it himself. And that's why Jesus told him to cut anchor in life and follow him alone. It was going to be the only way that the man would stop putting his faith in things that were temporary and instead put his faith in him, in Jesus. We also have anchors in our lives, things that weigh us down, that tie us too closely to our lives in this world, things that prevent us from following Jesus the way that we should. Now, we may think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. At least I'm not that rich. Well, put aside for the moment that the overwhelming majority of Americans are considered in the top tier of wealthiest people relative to the rest of the world. But, but even that aside, for just a moment, even if we aren't weighed down by our money or our possessions, we all can easily be anchored by something in our lives if we allow it. For some people, it may be their career their ambition, their treasured position at work. And so they are anchored by their desire to achieve and always be successful. For others, it may be friends or family. They are anchored by their relationships with other people and prevented from doing the things because they place so much stock and hope in those. For others, it may be their reputation. Their good standing in a community. And so they are anchored by what others think of them and by their status. And still for others, it may be fear. They may be anchored by a fear of failure, a fear of being alone, a fear of suffering, or a fear of not always being in control in life. Our hearts can get so entangled with all these fears and these desires and these ambitions, these things of this world, that when we hear the voice of Jesus calling us to follow him, we are unable to free ourselves and follow him in the ways that we know that we should. We, generally speaking, know what we should be doing as followers of Christ, living in such a way that brings glory to our Father in heaven and that loves and serves our neighbor. And yet, so often, because of the things that we have valued so much in our lives, that we view things as more important than our neighbor or even more important than God. And because of that, sometimes when we should be following, we don't move at all except to sink. Now, I'll say this. It doesn't mean that everything in this world, friends, family, possessions, even wealth, that those are bad things. They're they're usually not. Many of these are, of course, good things. They are gifts from God that he has blessed us with and that we are to steward faithfully. And yet, good as those things in this world may be, we always run the risk of turning them into deadly anchors that sink us when they at any moment come between us and him. 
Any time that we look to things in our lives as the anchor of our lives, any time that we look to things in this world to keep us safe in the storms of life, any time we look to them instead of God, they are, in fact, a danger to us. God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And and God doesn't say this because he's envious or because he wants to cause trouble in our life. No, it's just the opposite. It's because he knows that anything that comes between us and him is a false god and in the end has the potential to drag us down to eternal death. He is the only one we can turn to when we need true safety and security, not only in this life, but in the life of the world to come. And it's what the rich man fails to see in Mark chapter 10. He has completely misunderstood his relationship with God, his own ability to get right with God. The man has inserted his wealth, his power, his prestige, his possessions into the position of God in his life. That they were the things that he would look to in order to save himself. And although he genuinely wanted eternal life with God, he was unable to cut anchor with those things that were dragging him down and killing him. And so he leaves Jesus in great sorrow. And the same would be true for us if it weren't for Jesus. But you see, Jesus came into our world, and he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus left behind everything in order to become nothing for our sake. Jesus cut anchor with all the glory and honor that he deserved in heaven. He left power and safety and happiness in order to be born in our world, a world full of grief and trouble and suffering. And Jesus did all this because he loves us and wants us to be anchored to him forever. There's another detail in this passage we haven't discussed yet, and it was right at the beginning. In verse 17, it says, Jesus was setting out on his journey when the man approaches him. And we might just skim past that, not thinking anything of it, but it's actually quite important. You see, in both the preceding chapters, chapters 8 and 9, Jesus had already made his first two passion predictions, the statements where where he was telling his disciples where he was going. He was going to Jerusalem to be betrayed and handed over and to be arrested and suffer and die. And then on the third day, rise again. And what's more... Jesus was going to make his third and final passion prediction immediately after this encounter with the rich man. And what it shows us is that Jesus wasn't just on any journey. He was on his journey to Jerusalem. He was telling, when he was telling the rich man to follow him, what he was saying was to come along and see all that he was about to do at the cross and at the tomb and at his empty grave, all for this man and all for you and me. 
In the very next chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus will ride into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And that was just the beginning of the week where we, were, we, are, we see Jesus, how far he was willing to go and how much he was willing to sacrifice for us. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven of all the times that we wrongly anchor ourselves to things in this world. And Jesus rose again from death to everlasting life, to show us that he is now our anchor for all eternity. The book of Hebrews wonderfully calls this hope that Jesus has won for us, calls this hope the sure and, uh, the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have been anchored to Christ in our baptism. We are anchored to Christ because of his death on the cross. We are anchored to Christ because he rose again. And we will be anchored to Christ in the day he returns, the day of the resurrection, because of all that Jesus has done for us. Jesus is our sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And because of him, we have nothing to fear. Not now and not ever. And that's why the anchor was such an important symbol for those early Christians in Rome. They met in those catacombs because they were facing the loss of everything in their lives. Their possessions, their wealth, their careers, their families, even their own lives. But they knew as important as those things may be in their lives, their eternal hope was not found in any of them. Their eternal hope was only found in Jesus, the sure and steadfast anchor of their souls. And so they put that symbol of the anchor next to the graves of their loved ones who had died in the faith because they were certain that they would rise again. Back in 2015, the city council of Grand Haven, Michigan, on the other side of the state, voted three to two to convert a 48-foot cross into something that was less offensive to non-Christians. Now, it had been on display on a hill in Grand Haven called Dewey Hill since 1964, but that cross stood on city property. And so there had been continual efforts and threats of lawsuits to force the city to remove it. And so the council voted not to remove it, but actually to just change it into something else. Well, the city council debated what they were going to change that cross into. And, and since they were right there on Lake Michigan, and that Grand Haven has a history of shipping on the Great Lakes and the Coast Guard, they decided an appropriate symbol would be a giant anchor, which seemed to satisfy those who wanted the cross removed. But what they didn't realize was that they were simply changing one symbol of the Christian faith, the cross, into another. Now, you can still see the cross within the anchor, but also the anchor has always been a symbol that points us back to Christ because he is the anchor of our souls. How appropriate that in an attempt by the world to take away the cross, that they simply provided us another reminder that we are not anchored to the things of this world, but that we are anchored to Christ alone.
If our salvation was dependent upon us in any way, we would only walk away full of sorrow like the rich man, drowned by the things in this world to which we want to attach ourselves. But thanks be to the Father and to his Son, Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit who is at work within us, we are in fact anchored by Christ. And he calls us now to follow him so that we may know for certain that he went to the cross for our sins, that he walked out of the empty grave for our eternal life. Jesus calls us to follow him through a world that is full of sorrow and suffering so that we may enter with him into a life of joy and peace which will have no end. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.